Hello, everyone. Welcome to the PPC Show brought to you by AdStage. I am Paul Wicker. And I'm J.D. Prater. And today is February 3rd, 2019. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. And these are your top headlines in paid marketing. And before we do that, I want to plug our seventh quarterly benchmark report. So happy to announce you can now go to AdStage and download the newest quarterly benchmark report. We put all the average CPMs and CPCs and all that fun stuff for Google, Facebook, Bing, Instagram. Uh, so head over there uh, to, or just head to adstage.com or adstage.io and get a copy. And and happy Super Bowling. If you're listening to this, then the Super Bowl happened and Tom Brady probably got another MVP and the Patriots won again and everybody's a little smarmy. <laughs> I hope he doesn't win again. <laughs> I saw on Wikipedia someone change the Super Bowl to the thing that gets played every year where someone plays the Patriots for a chance to be the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I don't watch Super Bowl anymore, uh, but when I did, uh, I well, I'm a New York football Giants fan, so I, I remember the Patriots losing to the Giants when the Patriots were undefeated. Greatest Super Bowl ever, but I don't know. Do you care at all about the Super Bowl? Yeah, you know, I'll watch it, you know, as I try to save all the commercials, you know, so I can watch those. That's probably what I'm most excited about, but, uh, you know, the real winner is the Puppy Bowl. You know, Team Fluff, Team Rough, facing off. <laughs> the 15th annual Puppy Bowl. Nice. Uh, they should do a kitten bowl too, you know? I mean, it seems like kittens get more traction on Instagram than puppies, but... Nah, no one, no um, one wants to see that. That's true. <laughs> Except it's like the number one. I'm convinced if everyone just turned all their ads on Instagram into cats, everybody's performance would skyrocket. Um, Probably. And then also uh, Groundhog's Day. That happened? Yeah, it happened yesterday. Uh, early spring is what uh, Phil said. I read somewhere that Phil is actually like, it's the opposite usually of what Phil says. So, uh, unfortunately, I hope not. I'm, I'm I'm ready for spring. Although we can't complain. I mean, winter here is like you know 55 degrees and rainy, as opposed to <laughs> yeah. where they're under a foot of snow or back Colorado from your Colorado days. I know the polar vortex. You know, I just forget. You know, being out here that uh, I was at SMX this week and people had issues with getting in and traveling and canceling of flights and, you know, moving things around. And I was like, Oh, you mean it's not like 60 and sunny every day? Oh, lame. Uh, you also <laughs> don't have to like, you know, donate a kidney to afford a house in some of these other places. <laughs> uh, oh wait. So how was SMX by the way? And where was it? Uh, SMX was in down in San Jose. So down South Bay and, uh, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. They mixed up the format a little bit. So that was, um, a welcome change. And then I'd say overall pretty good content, but, um, yeah, you know, well, I just don't know about that conference. I just, it was so search heavy, which I know it's SMX, but, um, I just don't know how you continue on without any kind of social, uh, as like a presence there. So um, it just felt, it felt weird having everything so focused on like Google being. Right. Well, it searches in the name. They could change it to social marketing expo, uh, search and social S squared yeah. MX S squared. MX. <laughs> um, they got to do something to mix it up, you know, cause you can yeah, only talk about text ads so many times. So anyway. true. So let's talk about them. Uh, well, let's do social just on that note. So the first story is a little bit of the, well, not the paid ad, uh, paid side of Facebook, but they blocked, so recently Facebook blocked tools that lets people see how ads are targeted. And the tools were basically like web scrapers that would like, you can add a browser extension 
and ProPublica had one. It was for a good cause. And this browser extension would like click on the little menu in the top right of the ad and then it would click on the why am I seeing this ad button. And when I say it, I mean like the robot would click on it and it would collect, you know, the targeting data essentially to try to figure out who was targeting and how they were targeting. And they were using it as a way to bring transparency. But now Facebook changed the rules uh, of how that little menu button works to essentially prevent the ProPublica robot and other robots doing the same thing from doing that. So they can't scrape anymore and, and they're upset. Oh man, this one is so tough. I mean, yes, right? I mean, like you you gave them access, like you guys were partnering together, you know, for transparency, specifically kind of like around like political transparency, but I mean, obviously this extended beyond that, but to just kind of like shut it down, um, man, that's really tough because you obviously had a conversation that allowed it and then to kind of uh, position yours as this, their, their archive as an alternative and to say, hey, look, you know, it's okay, it's going away, but like we have this alternative. But um, as this article is kind of pointing out, it's failing to disclose like targeting data, which is what ProPublica was also showing. And it doesn't include all the political ads in the US. So in, they were highlighting like four groups, uh, the NRA, there was electoral reform advocacy group, there was a local anti-corruption group, and then a union advertising to get Democrats about healthcare policy. So Again, it's like, it's really tough when you're not catching all of them or you're only in certain countries and you're not including targeting data. Um, maybe you're not a true alternative to ProPublica. Right. Yeah, and I, I get it. As a product manager, I'm sure someone, you know, creating a robot to click on my ads, I wouldn't like. Although you figure Facebook took time to prevent the robot from clicking the menu button, but they didn't take time to prevent robots from clicking the like button or the share buttons or the comment buttons. So if they really cared about robots taking action, you think they'd worry about like bot farms and bots clicking on likes for ads, but instead they focused their time on opening the menu. Uh, Cause also someone pointed out they could have not just blocked the menu open, but you know, block the report this ad cause Facebook said, look, we had bots that are fake reporting ads. So they report competitors ads to, you know, bring them down. So we needed to block usage to that. So there's a lot of like excuses and we could do this. So maybe some engineers just, didn't understand that ProPublica was using this for the greater good, or maybe Facebook was like, they're giving away too much information, shut it down, and they did. We'll never know, because Facebook will never tell us. But it's, it's not a good move for transparency on Facebook. Uh, speaking of, I don't think I put it in here, but um, there's another kind of more bad news from Facebook was that, um, who's doing, Snopes, who does the fact-checking. Yeah. They announced they don't want Facebook's $100,000 payment to do fact checking anymore because Facebook's not making the data they need available via API and they don't want to be part of it because maybe it's a negotiating tactic or maybe they really think it's giving people a false sense of, of security. So Snopes announced it will no longer be a fact checking partner for Facebook. Ooh, I mean, it's, yeah. And I think the, I think even the AP, I think I saw may have like dropped out as well, but anyway, yeah, it's another one, like where, again, using third parties and then no, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see where this one goes. I, I don't even think a lot of people realize that Facebook was using uh, like Snopes, ABC News, AP, factcheck.org, and PolitiFact as fact checkers of like news stories that have been shared. Um, so really like those um, questionable ones or those false news stories that they've been so worried about, this program would help to confirm if they were true or not. and. Eventually, Snopes said, no, we're out. You're not giving us the data that we need. 
Um, you're not really listening to our stuff. So, you know, where we're gone. So we'll see where it goes. And of course, as a result of all this <clears throat> negative publicity, Facebook stock has just tanked and they're totally missing all their numbers. Except none of that is true. It seems yeah. like Facebook is just uh, invulnerable to any of any of this stuff. So their earnings continue to go up. Um, let's see, revenue hit almost 17 billion for the quarter. Profit was at $2.38 per share. So they over-delivered on an, uh, the analyst estimates and stocks up 6%. So despite all this privacy, stuff and fake news and scandal most people just don't care most people are going to use facebook whatsapp and instagram and just go about their day i mean at least the advertisers are i mean that's huge i mean that that was massive numbers from what i saw i i was i was absolutely dumbfounded when i saw that um right. that it's high not, it's huge just the advertisers their usage is actually up too so they had 1.52 billion people using Facebook every day in December, which is almost 10% year over year increase. And MAUs, monthly active users, also up 9%, almost 10%. So, and a lot of that growth came from outside of the US. US has been flat for a while, but Europe and some other kind of rest of the world have continued to grow. So people still using Facebook. I mean, and I keep using Facebook. I have not, I know you quit. You quit Facebook, Instagram. Are you still out of Facebook and Instagram's clutch? Yeah. I mean, out, um, this recently also included LinkedIn on that one. So, uh, just Twitter is the only one that I can't give up. Oh my God. So soon you'll be at a, in a like bunker in the middle of North Dakota. By water. <laughs> I just got no value, you know, and this was actually really interesting. I mean, again, it's anecdotal evidence, but there were a lot of, uh, people, even at SMX, uh, mostly my age that were like, you know, I'm just not on Facebook that much. I'm not getting much value out of it. They still check it, but they're not posting as much. They're, you know, they're not scrolling as much. And a lot of that's gone over to Instagram. Um, but again, um, I think Facebook's going to have to do something a little bit different because I think the newsfeed is getting a little stale. Uh, but Hey, we'll see what happens. You know, we'll see what happens in, in the future when you're making what we're worth $35 a person in that Q4. That's how much money they made. Um, that's a lot of money to be making. Very true. And yeah, I see the same thing. Instagram growing like crazy, even just the story ads, you know, it used to be one or two retail brands in there, but now like Instagram is just between the newsfeed and stories. They have a ton of marketers in there. So if you're a marketer and you're not doing story ads, you probably, probably miss the boat to be an early adopter. It seems like e-commerce retailers are now just flooded in there. Although most of them are these like small independent e-commerce companies. They're probably more nimble than the big brands. But if you're a big brand doing e-commerce, you, you have to be, you need a story strategy. Right now, I think uh, people are taking advantage of the fact that there's not as much competition there. Um, Okay, so that was Facebook earnings doing super well. Uh, speaking of giant companies uh, and some nefarious things, Google also made a big change to limit the ability for some ad blockers to kind of do what they do in Google Chrome. And this is another one where you could see both sides of the story and who knows what the truth is. The people on the ad blocker side, you know, so uh, Ghostery is one that I have used in the past. I know they're affected by this. Uh, there's a quote from somebody, and not necessarily a ghostery, I forget who said this, but they wrote, uh, they pretend to do this for the sake of privacy and browser performance. However, in reality, users would be left with only very limited ways to prevent third parties from intercepting their surfing behavior or to get rid of unwanted content. On the other side, Google says, we're trying to provide better privacy to users by preventing extensions from reading network requests made on a user's behalf. 
So, and they claim they're going to work with developers who make extensions to make sure extensions continue to work. But it, it's like a core piece of how these apps work and Google is removing that. And it's a little bit of that, hey, we're taking it away, but you know, don't worry, we're looking out for your privacy. Mm. <laughs> we're, we're looking for ways to show more ads. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, that is their revenue stream. And these extensions, these blockers have come in. They've given you the ability, uh, the user of Chrome, to control what is being shown to you by blocking certain you know, JavaScript. That's really what it comes down to. And now they've come in and changed Chrome in such a way that now their extension is uh, effectively not working and kind of broken. So, ooh, man, that's, uh, that's another one um, that I think is really interesting as far as like watching to see um, like what, what does this mean whenever we can't block ads and anti-tracking software. And it's interesting. I remember one of the ad blocking companies like did a deal with Google, you know, two years mm -hmm. ago maybe where like they block. Yeah. Right. They won't block Google ads. So like they'll block ads, but not Google ads. So even like ad blockers who are trying to make a buck are, you know, kind of dancing with Google to try to make some money. Uh, so so Google's doing that uh, on the ad blocker side. Meanwhile, on the tracking side, since you hate ad blockers too, if you're trying to track people for retargeting and make sure your Google Analytics uh, has some good data in there, um, we followed up that story with a good how-to article on GTN, Google Tag Manager. <laughs> so I've, I've read a lot of these over the years and I've set up you know, pixels on you know, sites I've managed for friends as well as at AdStage, you know, worked on GA pretty extensively. I always have trouble, it's been probably two years to be fair since I set one up, but sometimes like there's an AdWords pixel, there's a the traditional Google Analytics pixel, and there's like versions of that. I don't think anybody uses the old version anymore, but, and then there's GTM and you can, as a container, right? You put the container tag on your site. So I always had trouble getting the Google Analytics and GTM ones in the right spots and remembering which is which, but this article does a really good job walking you through step-by-step -step on how to do that. I don't know. How, how are you with tagging and GTM? I've gotten a lot better. Uh, I'm a big fan of GTM. I think this is a really good one. And so a big fan of this article. This is from uh, uh, Tim over at Clicks Marketing. And so he's done a really good job of kind of breaking it down for you. And the, you can do some really advanced stuff in Tag Manager as far as like building out audiences and tracking time on site or tracking scrolls. And I think that's kind of cool to set up within GA to really understand the user behavior across the website. So I, I think, you know, big fan of that one. And then um, just kind of understanding what a trigger is, I think is what is probably the most confusing for right. most, most marketers. Yeah, there's definitely a whole nother set of language in GTM. And it's a little more technical than most of their products. Uh, but I've seen, you know, I saw the ones you set up at AdStage. So I, it's not crazy technical. And the, the nice thing is in this article, not only does he show you how to set up Google Analytics via Tag Manager, but the big five networks, Google, Facebook, Bing, Twitter, LinkedIn, all have conversion pixels and you can do audience targeting, retargeting, all that fun stuff. And they're integrated with GTM. So you can just kind of pick the pixel out of GTM instead of having to do a bunch of custom work. So that's, that's pretty handy. I know. Um, and hopefully with the big five too, uh, we might be seeing the big six, uh, the big six referring to Cora. Uh -oh. <laughs> leaking, leaking information. Is your product so, team going to yell at you? No, we're good. We're good. Uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks, you might see Cora with a native integration on Google tag manager. Um, so we'll see, uh, stay tuned. Will that 
is amazing. Um, and I, cause they're also, maybe there's one of the big five I just mentioned actually isn't in there. Cause they told you how to set up like a custom pixel, but that's awesome news. Cora is, is moving fast. And speaking of you guys announced like a ton of things recently, right? Yeah, we had two announcements this last week. So we did uh, auction insights. We announced at SMX on stage during our session. So it was my first uh, product announcement. I did it very, uh, I kind of channeled my inner Steve Jobs mm -hmm. you know, in order to get that and one more thing, you know. Uh, did it you didn't wear quite. A black turtleneck? Well, I was trying to, you know, get the black turtleneck with some white, like, sneakers, you know, but then it looked even like Seinfeld, kind of. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just kind of wore my own thing. But, uh, no, so Auction Insights, really excited for this one because this one really is an optimization feature. And I, uh, this is one that I think is always really important for marketers. And so we've got, you know, three new metrics you can understand the auction. So loss to competition, you'll understand your impression share, and then you'll understand the absolute impression share. So um, again, search marketers are extremely familiar with auction insights. Uh, Facebook's doing uh, an okay job, but they're giving what's called like delivery insights and kind of giving, showing you some overlap and kind of what's going on with your targeting as well. But uh, hopefully this will allow you to make better um, decisions whenever you're trying to optimize for your uh, ROI and returns. Yeah, I, I love impression share. I think in AdWords, Google Ads, one of my favorite metrics still is impression share lost due to blank and looking at, you know, why you're not getting impressions. I think it was one of the best features Google added however many years ago to really help you understand if you should be spending your time uh, changing bids or raising budgets or, you know, if competitors are, you know, really taking a lot of the impression share. So I love impression share. I think it's a great move that you guys added it. Uh, another very searchy feature too, you guys added keyword targeting, right? Yeah. So keyword targeting, you can now uh, have two, um, broad match and phrase match. You can also exclude, you know, so maybe three, if you will, but broad match, we're all pretty familiar with it. It'll kind of help you reach that larger audience, you know, so, uh, specifically on question pages um, with close variations of your keywords as well. So no misspellings, but close variants will be in there. And then phrase match, if you want to control exactly which uh, keywords that you want to trigger on, um, go ahead and do phrase match. And again, I think this one is really key because a lot of advertisers like Cora love question targeting, you know, targeting that very specific uh, question on there. And now you can kind of do that at scale by looking at certain keywords and really targeting the keywords, which is going to put it across all the questions that have that. Um, so if you're going for financial planning, you no longer have to find all the questions with financial planning. You can just target financial planning phrase match and your ad will appear. So I got to give you some crap because so LinkedIn, for example, when they rolled, rolled out campaign groups, I was like, why would you invent a new thing? Everybody knows AdWords and Facebook, just pick like campaigns, ad groups and ads or ad sets. So you have keywords, right? So Google, of course, calls them negative. Uh, you're calling them exclude, uh, or I don't know if it's a feature, but I don't know why you just can't call them negative keywords. And the other is phrase match. So, you know, Google, it's been a while since I've gone into the depths of broad match, broad match, modified, exact match, phrase match. Um, it, your phrase match looks like exact match. And in your description, you know, it almost sounds like it's exact match where financial planning needs to match. It's not like I'm really going to take a look at my financial quarterly planning. Do you know if it's phrase phrase or is it exact phrase or do you not really know or care? It is the exact phrase. So um, <laughs> it's both. Yeah. It's exact phrase. Okay. So it's basically exact match. 
essentially. Exactly yeah. the same. I know. It's, it's one of those, uh, we, we wrestled with this one, and this is where you get into, uh, you know, the product team and the engineering team and how they understand things versus how marketers understand things. So, um, yeah, right. it's just... I'm sure technically it's phrase match and I can almost see that conversation. And then it's like, yeah, but Google calls it this. So even though that's wrong, that's what every marketer calls exact match versus phrase match. Anyway, if there's match type folks out there who are like super sophisticated, they're probably like, you two have it wrong. It's really whatever. But either way, it's cool that you could do keyword targeting in core. Yep. It's pretty cool. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. The, another kind of search technique we don't talk about much, but which is pretty cool is geotargeting. And there's a great post in here uh, this week from Search Engine Journal on using like a bunch of different geo practices or geotargeting practices. And this used to be like my world. I used to work for uh, Kenshu and specifically on a product called Kenshu Local. And we'd either be helping agencies manage these like small localized SMB campaigns or like huge brands that had a lot of stores try to do these like geo or you know, geo-targeted zip codes, like pretty small areas. And then how do you bid with a national campaign and local campaigns running underneath it and all that complexity for like the big box retailers. So I used to be all about geo-targeting and, you know, it's come a long way that this was probably seven or eight years ago, but still I liked in this article, one of the first things they said was like, uh, don't go too crazy. Don't do all this super hyper zip code targeting because almost in all cases, unless you are one of those big brand stores that has like tons of volume, it's like not worth it. It's like, so people would always ask me how to like, how many campaign, like what's a good account structure for doing this? I'd be like, don't do it. Like don't do it unless like <laughs> you're having trouble optimizing your campaigns currently and you really need to take this tactic. Yeah, this one's a tough one. Um, I like it for like local people more than anything else. So I think this is a very local rather than like national uh, way of doing it because you know, I mean, Granted, every state has like a different CPC, right? Uh, but I'm not going to break up a campaign into 50 different states. Uh, just It's just too much management at the end of the day. But I can see like local businesses. Um, I remember having a client in like the real estate business and we did uh, um, like geo or sorry, zip codes. And that's because we knew that certain zip codes were more expensive. And so it made more sense to bid more there um, for those zip codes versus other zip codes. So if they were looking in a certain area, we were like, oh man, we've got to get this person because those are like $3 million homes. You know, we want to make sure that we're there. Yeah. There's all the problems that come in with hyper-targeting too. It's like, there's accuracy questions that, you know, at this point in this day and age, they probably know exactly where you are at all times. But back when I was doing it, there was still a lot of guessing that Google was doing about where you were located versus where you were searching. And you know, if you're at home or at work, um, but in the article, they mentioned, I think, two things. One, it might be interesting to split your campaigns by time zone. So if you're really marketing towards certain times of day, if you're, you know, run content and you're trying to get people when they're at home or you want to get people early in the morning, if you split things up by time zone, it makes running campaigns on schedules a little bit easier. If you're using like rules and scheduling, so you can kind of control when they run. Also, Ad Stage Automate can do that for you. So uh, shameless plug. And then another was grouping markets together. So instead of just going down to the zip code, you can pick, you know, urban markets or you might want to pick California, Oregon, Washington and group them. Um, so had a few great recommendations. So if you've been trying to get more geotargeting practices into your search campaigns, it's a great article for you. And, and moving away from search, um, moving to the land of Reddit. 
they're getting on the bandwagon and they're rolling out their CPC model. So it's coming out of beta. Yeah, I'd say this one's, you know, about time. <laughs> uh, you can kind of tell that they haven't really focused too much on performance marketers by not having this one. You know, they're really having CPM and CPV cost per view. You know, you can tell they're really going for the bigger brands. And now I think they're kind of uh, coming down to the, to the performance marker, or at least giving that ability uh, to do so. I think my biggest surprise was the, uh, the, the floor was 25 cents. That's the cheapest bid that you can have, which I still think is very expensive. Hmm. I was going to ask, is that really expensive or really cheap? I mean, uh, it's going to be, you're paying for a click on a link or promoted posts, which includes video. They say, I'm not entirely sure what that means, but we'll see if 25 cents it's always hard till you run ads, right? And you look at downstream, down funnel, what am I generating? And I know some of the folks, I think hired was in the beta. So there was 50 advertisers in the beta for the last four months. And they announced now everybody will have access to it. So hired.com, which is like hiring. This is why they're named hired, did it. And you know, for them, a conversion is like when someone gets a job. So uh, we'll see as time goes on. And I do, I've talked to a few marketers who are saying they're going to try Reddit. It's like in that 2019 what are things you want to try this year? So I think Reddit has a good shot to at least get some initial interest and then we'll see how it performs. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, more new platforms. Hulu made a big announcement <laughs> about a new ad unit. So we usually don't talk too much about TV, but I thought this was a really well thought out ad unit. It's, uh, they could have just done a video, but they had some really good reasons on why they didn't do a video. Um, so essentially when you pause a Hulu show, Instead of showing you a video, they're thinking as well, you're pausing because you're going to go to the bathroom, you're going to go get some food, you're going to, you know, you're going to move on for a little bit and then come back. So instead of starting a video that runs while you're not there and might be a little weird, like you hit pause and then something happens and you're like, wait, you know, what's going on? Uh, they're just going to put up like a translucent banner, kind of like Netflix puts up like when you pause Netflix, you get like a translucent overlay and that's going to be branded. So on the right side, you'll have a little like billboard effectively. And that's, uh, it's a new ad. They're going to call it a something. Wait, pause ad, right? Yeah. Yes. Pause ads. You are right. Um, so I thought that was really thoughtful. And it's, you know, a static image. So if they wanted to get some inventory from like a display network, they could. Although I'm sure they're going to sell these one-offs because Hulu is all the former TV folks. So they know how to sell ad space. <laughs> yeah, I, I, again, I think this is a good one. I think it's a, it's a good way to kind of test out those ads. And I think it's a really good way to have a, you know, a decent experience. Again, you know, it's going to be like that display feel. So you're just, again, it's brand recognition. It's seeing something, maybe not necessarily taking action on something, but it's a good way to get your brand in front of them. So when they announced Coca-Cola and Charmin, I'm not too surprised whenever I see those as well. Right. Um, and then you added an article that I had no idea about, about, um, or did I add this <laughs> and I never read it about, um, uh, making it illegal to buy mm. and sell followers and likes. Did you see this? Yeah. Yeah. I added that one in, uh, you know, just if, if we had time. So you as the, as the, uh, the listener, you tell us that we have time, but, uh, really fascinating. So New York times, of course, did an investigation into this, uh, company called DeViewMe, D-E-V-U-M-I. And the court ruled that they can no longer operate in the way that they've been doing. And essentially they're outlying, or sorry, outlawing the sale of social media followers and likes. That's huge because 
there's a lot of people out there selling followers, selling likes in like these bot farms, or even just to get like this fake social media engagement. They've uh, used like stolen identities to engage in online activity, which of course is illegal. So uh, this one may have some ripple effects, uh, really impacting, I could see like impacting influencer marketing, you know, really going in um, impacting celebrities, all these influencers. And so I'm interested in, and I'm curious to see how this plays out over the next year. Yeah, they generated $15 million in revenue dealing fake you know, accounts, fake celebrities, <laughs> fake followers for folks. And this is, yeah, the first time it's been considered actually illegal. So it is putting a little bit of legal risk if you, for some reason, are in the business of making fake accounts or maybe even buying them. So if you're buying knowingly fake likes and uh, followers, and perhaps you might be liable for something. So don't do it. Um, the other story you brought up was this crazy Guardian article about how <laughs> social media is killing the free market. <laughs> That's a, you know, it's a pretty outlandish headline, but the article is very thought-provoking, and I, I, I do encourage you guys all to kind of read it. The, the general idea is that we've seen uh, basically, media companies lay off uh, over 2,000 people over this last year. And between 2008 and 2017, uh, the number of newsroom jobs in U.S. newspapers has dropped by 45%. So uh, that's like half. And then if you also include TV and radio, it's declined 23%. So you think about all these declines, you think about all these jobs being gone, and you contrast that to Facebook, who we just talked about had you know, record earnings. Their valuation is $470 billion. You think about Google and how those two dominate the digital advertising market and how all these media companies rely on pretty much digital advertising. Um, some do with subscriptions as well, but um, you compare and kind of contrast those two things and where do most people go to get their news well, surprise, surprise, social media with 68% uh, of people getting it from social media with Facebook being the primary source. So there really is this kind of compare and contrast of supply and demand and how that's going to play out. So very, very thought provoking. I never really thought about it that way. And even the, the newer media companies that I thought, oh, you know, this is the future and have been announcing layoffs. So Vice, which mm. is, you know, uh, Bop, I don't know, they're bought by HBO, but um, anyway, they're, you know, a very new company that was growing very quickly, had to announce a 10% workforce layoff. Huffington Post, owned by Verizon, but they just cut 800 workers in the Verizon media division, which part of those folks were HuffPost and Yahoo News people. Um, there's in the UK, a website called The Pool, which is aimed at women, launched in 2015 with uh, radio presenter Lauren Laverne at, at the head, which was kind of new on trend and just went to liquidation and uh, 24 journalists were laid off. So it seems like even the newest crop of media companies that tried to say, well, we're not legacy media. We don't care about print. We don't have all this overhead. We're just digital. They can't make a buck in this social media driven world. So there's no real solution in here uh, to try to figure out uh, other than, you know, maybe Facebook and Google slice off money and start paying reporters in newsrooms because I think somebody at one point tried to get them to say, hey, will you admit, I think it was John Battelle at one point, it was like, you are the media, you are media companies, you drive what people 
know about the world and you yeah. should take responsibility like a media company for fair journalism and, and have practices and reward good journalism and whatnot. And they keep saying, we are not a media company. We are social networks. This was years ago and I think their tune is changing, but it seems like the only, uh, only way forward is to get those two to, to lead the charge. Yeah. And I mean, I think the article points out too, like, uh, I don't think it's the deliberate intention of Google and Facebook and Twitter to drain the advertising pool that once supported journalism, but they don't really compare, like they don't really care if they survive or die, <laughs> Right. you know? And like, whenever you think about all, all the, the news that's on Facebook, like that has to come from publishers that has to come from, you know, content creators. And if they're not there, what's going to happen, you know? And I think Facebook um, has said, well, people want to see things from friends and family. They don't want to see things from brands, but yet publishers are in there. I think they've slowly just restricted, you know, their kind of like promotion in the feed, if you will, or they're within the algorithm. And so they're kind of demoting news. So now they have to pay for the news. And I think at the end of the day, they couldn't pay enough on Facebook in order to get the amount of eyeballs needed to make and turn a profit. So I think some in the free market say, hey, supply and demand, like you're, you're not good enough because you compare it to New York Times and the Washington Post who have both you know, seen growing their newsrooms while others are shrinking. And so what we may end up seeing is like, what does that look like? Do we have a monopoly now on the news? Is it going to be these two? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see where this heads. Yeah, it's funny. I, I did get the headline wrong. The actual headline, because I was paraphrasing, is... What 2000 job cuts tell us the free market kills digital journalism, not social media. And that's really, you know, the argument you're just making is, hey, if people don't want to buy good journalism, if people don't care about truth in reporting, or at least consciously, then no one's going to pay money to buy digital uh, subscriptions to these companies that have qualified media and vetted information. They're going to just buy media or use that by you know, going to a website like Facebook where they have information they like to hear, information that sounds like, you know, things that they already believe. So the free market person says, well, if that's what people want, that's what the market will reward. And I, it's funny because at this moment in politics, you're seeing a lot of people suddenly become kind of anti-capitalist or maybe at least stepping back from the kind of hardcore capitalism that's taken over since the 80s, saying that, hey, some things in this world, if you put them into a pure capitalist model, will just get eaten up and spit out. Does that mean we shouldn't have them? Public transportation, in most places, will never make money. You know, people don't like taking public transportation when they can drive because we're all selfish creatures. But sometimes you need to lose money on an idea in order to provide a service to, you know, humanity or at least to a neighborhood. You know, paved roads, healthcare, like all these things are really hard to make money doing because people don't always want to spend money on these things. It's much easier to make money selling alcohol and cigarettes and fast food and things that are stupid human brains just say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So it, it does become a bigger question about capitalism, free market, and you know, the state of this country given all these problems we have and our answer is always, oh, let the market decide and the market doesn't care for all like fat, unhealthy, and dead of diabetes at 70 as long as somebody makes money. That's <laughs> depressing. <laughs> it's true though. I mean, just look at the free market, like go look at Facebook's revenue in Q4 and compare that to all of these job layoffs. The market is saying, you know what? We don't care if Facebook is violating, you know, terms or has security problems or blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, we just don't really care for this news and we don't, you know, and I, I don't know. 
you can think about the constitution, you think about the free press. If there is no free press, who's going to, you know, keep us informed, but also who's going to hold, um, you know, politicians accountable, who's going to do the investigative reporting and then help us understand what's going on in the world. It's been, I mean, the one thing Trump has done for this country is that it's, made a lot of people have a conversation about the role of government and <laughs> like question some of these fundamental things we never thought we'd have to question about how do you control a despotic leader. And if you think about the founding fathers sitting around the table coming from a monarchy, a lot of what they're trying to figure out is how do we prevent one person from taking complete and absolute control, which happens in almost, you know, every civilization and, you know, democracy and was already being used in other places. So I'm not pretending we invented it, but it's a question not a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about in this day and age because we always assume there's no way we could ever have like a despotic leader and we can never have someone who is not accountable to the people and we can never have a system that is not, you know, put in place to help uh, kind of the average American, but it feels more and more like we're there. And these are questions that we have to ask ourselves. Am I turning into a communist? What's happening? <laughs> a socialist, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, because this will be on the record. That's not true. I'm just joking around. Uh, Wicker for president, 2024. All right, let's end on that one. If you if you still hung in here for these political rants and you're like, you know what, I want to learn more about advertising, you could head over to uh, blog.adstage.io. Sign up for a newsletter or head over to SoundCloud and listen to some more episodes of me and JD talking about uh, the future of the world. Uh, and if not, that's okay. You can just hang your head and discuss it where we are as a civilization right now. <laughs> All right. Enjoy your week, everybody. And, and go LA. I'm going to say go LA Rams because everybody's had enough of Tom Brady wins. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, but I will say Tom Brady's still looking real fit and still looking real good. I don't know how that guy does it at like 40. So, you know, I'll give him, I think he's like a vegan now too or something anyway. Uh, he's always fam- like on TV or maybe not TV, wherever he's, people talk about this stuff for like his crazy diet. He's got all kinds of these crazy diet things. I think he has a book. So we'll see if he wins another Super Bowl, maybe I'll go on the top right. <laughs> all right, everyone. Enjoy your week. See ya.